Happy New Year, everybody. My name is uh, Roberto. I'm one of the elders here at North Village Church. So good to be here this morning. This morning we're going to start a new. Uh, I'm blanking. Uh, a new series. It's called Abundant Living, uh, and uh, we're going to be Matthew 11. For those of you who have a devotional, uh, it's on page 60. By the way, those of you who are new here, we offer devotionals that offer uh, ahead of time what what passages we're going to be going through. Uh, If you just have your Bible, it's going to be Matthew 11, starting in verse 25. And so normally this year, or normally during this time in January, uh, as a church family for the past 8 to 10 years, we would go over uh, yearly rhythms. Uh, This is where we kind of get in line with with the Lord and the beginning of the new year. uh, And we would dedicate our time to to serve and to to find out how we can plan for the year ahead, uh, how we can then put him at the center of our lives. Uh, but this year, we decided to just kind of dig right back into Matthew 11 as we were before Christmas. Uh, and so we just want to get back into it because our focus is emboldened. So what I want to line up, we want to line up our lives with Jesus' rule and authority so that, that it shapes how we approach every part of our lives, uh, how we walk through challenges, how we walk through making decisions, how we walk through suffering. We want our relationship with Jesus shaping every part of our lives. So in the passage today, Jesus makes this radical claim of giving rest to all who are weary. The word word rest, uh, as you know, means to refresh, to recover, so that we can collect strength. So therefore, in this morning, we ask this question, how does that look like in our life practically? So, let's go ahead and start with the next, with the slide. Let's see here. If anyone was going to get a fast pass to the front of the line, well, let's see. Oh, that's fine. Oh, that's okay. Here we go. New year, new things. We're just getting in the swing of things. So, if anyone was going to get a fast pass to the front of the line of the, of the, for the kingdom of, God, of heaven, it had, been, it, it had to have been the chosen people of God, right? Well, let's look at Matthew 11:25. There we go. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this, is the, this way is well-pleasing to your sight. Well, in verse 25 and 26, you see two groups of people. There are those who are wise and those who are infants. And there's a contrast that is being created between the two. Do you see that in verse 25? There are things that have been hidden from the wise and intelligent and things that have been revealed to the infants. Isn't that interesting? Our assumption in life is that the wise and intelligent would have secret insight on how to navigate life, and the infants are those who are confused, struggling, dependent on others. Uh, But in today's verse, Jesus says it's the opposite. Now, it's important to point out that, that Jesus isn't literally talking about infants. He's speaking to, to uh, people of all ages. He's speaking to people with all walks of life. And so I just wanted to kind of point out that he's not literally talking about we need to be infants, and as you are adults, it's too late for you all. No. No, it, it, it's the idea in which infants in the aspect of which you're trusting. Those of you who have who had children or have been around children, uh, know that they're very trusting as long as you, you, know, you tell them, you know, hey, I'll, you know, here, take this drink. 
take this food and they're, they're, they're going to grab out of it. And so the idea is that you want to uh, come to Christ, come to the Lord, knowing that, that you don't know everything, that you're not this wise and intelligent, you know what, I got, I got this form of education, I know these things based on what I've done in my life, looking at the historical data. No, it's about the idea of knowing that Christ is above all things and has authority over all things, and we're to go to him with, with the understanding of a child, with the, with the youthfulness of it. So it's not literally infants. I just kind of want to make that clear. Some people will try to read that in, in, into the text, and so I just wanted to point that out. But not only is this just the opposite of what we see in the world, but it's it's pretty consistent pattern throughout Scripture and in Jesus' life that, you know, for, instances, for instance, there's those who are blind. The ones who are blind are the ones who see, and the ones who... Who, who want to save their lives are the ones, excuse me, here's other instances. Those who are blind are the ones that see. I'm sure you've all heard that in Scripture. And those who save their lives are the ones who lose it, and those who lose their lives for his sake are the ones that save it. So there's always kind of been this contrast, this kind of upside down, kind of a, a, a direct contrast to what we kind of think we know or the way we see things reflected in the world. And so as we're going into 1125, I want to bring a little context a little bit before that. There's Matthew 1111. And, you know, prior to that, you can read this on your own. But Matthew 11 starts off with Jesus basically talking about uh, John the Baptist. And so these are the words beginning in 1111. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women... There has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now that, that can, I'm going to give that a moment because there's a lot there that could be said. Uh, but importantly, it's, it's a very confusing passage. It's like, wait a minute. If you all know your Bible, John the Baptist did some amazing things. Uh, I mean, he's, he's calling people to repentance. He's paving the way for Christ to come. Uh, and yet Jesus is talking about here that even the least, yet the, one, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So John the Baptist is, is, is the last of the Old Testament prophets. John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus in verse 11. Jesus says among those, like I just said, it's interesting because Jesus is already pointing to the idea that, that it's not about works, but about faith. Now, he's not saying that John the Baptist doesn't have faith. He's saying it's the fact that, that it's not the things that he's done that, okay, we see those things that are amazing, but it's more that, that it's, it's about faith. It's about the work that God has done and not so much um, what John has done specifically. So I just wanted, I wanted you know let you all know about that because... Sometimes we could feel like, well, you know what, I need to do these things for then in order to be in the kingdom of heaven. But no, today's passage, and I'm going to dig further into it, it's not about that. It's about faith. So in our, in our culture, we assume the goal is to be on top. Even as young people, we assume adulthood is the primary goal of life. When we're children, we assume that when we grow up, we'll be in charge. And when we grow up, we'll make the rules. And when we grow up, we won't have to ask questions because we'll have all the answers. But that's not the case. So let's go back to 25 and 26. I just want to glance at it. If we're not careful, 
We can overlook Jesus' words in Matthew 11. Now, before Christmas, we were going over the, uh, excuse me, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And even there, you can kind of feel like, you know what, it, it is things that I need to do in order for us to, to get there. And so a few examples in Matthew 5.48 says, we need to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That, that's, that's a hard thing to grasp. We are to pray for our enemies. 5.39, turn the other cheek. 5.30, lust, thought, lustful thoughts are the same as adultery. 5.22, anger is the same as murder. Therefore, in the same way, we can misunderstand Jesus' Jesus's words that as followers of Jesus, we need to work harder and do better. And I think this has to do with our daily outlook. Again, in contrast, in our culture, we have contractual relationships with one another. Where I give to you, you give to me. I help you move, you help me move. It's common courtesy uh, that we have this with one another, and sometimes we carry that same mindset into our relationship with God. If we give financially, we expect him to bless us. If we do our devotional that morning, well, we expect to have an easier day. If we made some risky decision on Saturday night, we think, well, we'd better go to church on Sunday and make that up. Uh, it's contractual, but that's, that's not it, people. That's not it, church family. But in Matthew 11, Jesus is introducing a new relationship between the creator and his creation where we position ourselves as infants. We position ourselves as vulnerable, which leads, us to, leads Jesus to say these words in verse 27. And I really want you all to see this. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Wait, what? All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. In verse 27, we see the Son and Father relationship being established in Jesus. The Son-Father relationship established in Jesus is that which has been hidden up until now. Now, when I say now, I'm talking about then when it was revealed, but, but in our hearts and to those of you today who don't, who don't know Jesus, that is the secret that is being revealed today. That he, that the Son and the Father are one, and that to know him, it is revealed to you, that he is the way. Outside, the, outside of Christ, we are described as people who are dead in our sin. Outside of Christ, we are described as people who are in darkness. We are separated from God. We are lost, but through faith in Jesus, we have been invited to be sons and daughters. It's possible that some of you here are still operating in this contractual relationship with God. It's possible that there's some of us here this morning who have tried to follow Jesus, and we said to yourselves, you said to yourselves, I have... I don't have enough faith. I guess Jesus doesn't work in my life. Perhaps we even know people who've described themselves as people who used to be 
a Christian. It's not that Jesus doesn't work, but it's likely that there's still layers and every one of us still operating in this contractual, this reciprocal kind of relationship with God. The hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that our relationship with God isn't contractual. That's the point of verse 27. Jesus has come to live the perfect life. Jesus has come to take our death at the cross and conquer death in the resurrection. So that through faith in Jesus, we are made sons and daughters. Let's look at verse 28 and 30. If we're not careful, we can, we can overlook Jesus' words. Oh, excuse me. Come to Matthew 11, 28 and 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to stay with that for a moment. Come to me. The me is Jesus. Jesus is the one who has given authority, who has been given authority in heaven and on earth to establish a new relationship with the Father so that through faith in Jesus, we're transferred from the kingdom of, dark, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. This is why Jesus is so important. Nobody else can make this claim. Nobody else has ever made this claim. People like Muhammad, Buddha, Gandhi or any politician or any influencer can say can say that. They can say be like me. But they can't say something as strong as come to me. That is solely Christ. The invitation in verse 28 is for all those who are weary. Is anyone weary in life? I know we just got out of vacation, we celebrated a new year and you know, as you know, even in those times there's still moments where you know, yeah, we had that time off maybe. Um, but there's, there's still a, a hunger, there's still a, a need, an exhaustion. And actually, this verse today uh, touches me in a way that, that prior to faith, um, that was what I was searching for. I know what it's like to not have that rest, to be exhausted. Um, so prior to Christ, just a little bit about myself, um, there was a sense in which I thought I would, if I literally slept more, that I would be more rested. I would seek that. I would think, you know what? Um, Kimberly, who's my wife, she, she was a believer uh, before I was, uh, and, and so she would go to Sunday service, and I thought to myself, you know what? If, if, if they go, you know, uh, Kimberly and, and my son Alex, uh, if they go to service, I just need to sleep in a little bit more, and you know what? I'll get that rest. And when they get back, I'll be, I'll be a better father. I'll be a better husband. Uh, I just need that rest to recharge, to, to just, that's all I needed. And so that never came. I, I just was always tired. I was, I was always exhausted. And, and it wasn't until the truth of the gospel um, that was preached to me on, on, on an Easter Sunday uh, that I realized that the true rest comes from Christ. It was, I mean, at, at that point, it was, it was just, oh, it, the, the rest doesn't come from physically sleeping. It's not from the amount of time I sleep. It's not 
as long as I get my eight hours or ten hours or six hours or whatever, it's it's no, the rest comes from Christ and He gives us that. He provides that. And when when my eyes were opened and and, and I came to faith, I no longer needed that rest. In fact, it didn't matter how late I stayed up on Saturday. It was it was Sunday mornings where I got my true rest, and a Sunday service with fellowship with people. Uh, and I want to tell you that from my own testimony, and 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 I hope you feel that today too, uh, church family, because I know that that this world is going to try to appeal to you with these. Well, if you eat this certain diets, if you you know just work out as X amount of times a week, if you do again, it just goes back to works. If you do these things then you'll get there. But you'll never get there in that rate. The, real, the realization is that Jesus is, is, is where you need to go. And so like I said, Jesus says, come to me. He says that because he's already done the work. He's already lived the perfect life. He's already done those things. He's done the things that we think we need to strive to do. He's already taken care of that. It's, it's done. It is finished. He literally says that in Scripture. It is finished once, he has, once he's, he's sacrificed for us to be reconciled to the Father. So, Again, the invitation in verse 28 is to those who are weary. Are there any of you here who are weary today? Yeah. Come to him. That's what we're asking today. It's not to, to, to me that I'm preaching this Sunday. It's go to him. So in verse 29, Jesus speaks of a yoke. And the yoke is a device that goes around an animal to farm the land. The yoke is what rests on the shoulder of the animal to kind of keep him going, keep him in line. But Jesus says, take my yoke. I am gentle and humble in heart. The reason why I bring up yoke, not only because it's in Scripture, but I think that there's some of us here who we unknowingly put ourselves in a yoke that isn't of Christ. The pressure to be successful, that could be a yoke. To be wealthy, to be financially stable, to be beautiful, to be fit, to not be racist, to not vote the wrong way, not to recycle the wrong way, you know, to, to do everything right, like I just mentioned a minute ago. Those are examples of yokes that we put on ourselves to think that, that that's what we need to carry with us in order to do these things. And again, Jesus says his yoke is light. So if you're feeling the burdens of those things, and those are just a few examples, I'm sure later today you all are going to reflect on, on this passage and you can find other things that, that you may be yoked to. You'll know because of the burden, you'll feel that. You'll feel that burden, that weight on your shoulders, the stress, the anxiety of thinking, you know what, I, there's things I need to do. And no, again, I got to remind you. And I, and I got to remind myself too. You know, I'm, I may be saying you, but it's a we. It's, it's me as well. These are things that we need to be reminded of, that that his yoke is light. And so if you're feeling this weight, this burden on you, on your shoulders, this need to, to this weight, you may have been yoked to something that is not of Christ. And so I want you to think about that today, church family. And Jesus isn't pointing to a particular type of church family 
Jesus isn't pointing us to a method or pattern to follow in life. It isn't a specific diet. It isn't a particular way to manage your money. The invitation is come to me. It isn't even come to God. It's come to Jesus. That's the secret. Again, I'm telling you, that's the secret, church family. If you have given up on God, listen to me this morning. If you rejected Jesus, listen to me. If you have told yourself God doesn't work in your life, listen to me. This is the secret of God's word, the things that have been, that have been hidden and have been revealed. Jesus wants us to be with him. Jesus wants, to get, wants us to get to know him. Jesus wants us to read about him, talk to him, walk with him, sing with him, think about him, work onto him, serve onto him, nap onto him. The secret is Jesus. It's Jesus, and he's done it all. You might push back and say, I tried to be with Jesus. It didn't work. What? Well, I think you may still be thinking this relationship is, is a back and forth. It's not a back and forth. I think you're still assuming that there's something you need to do, but the invitation in God's word today is Jesus has already done it. So therefore, respond to Jesus' invitation. Turn to Jesus. Over the next two months, we're going to, go, we're going to study through Matthew 6 and 7. So we're going to continue where we, pack, where, where we, start, where we left off today. And, it's going to be a, and we're going to look and we're going to see the abundant life in Christ. This is just a taste, church family. Please continue to come. Please continue to seek him. Uh, and please, just, just go to him. I, believe me. It's too easy to yoke, yourself, yoke yourselves to something else. God's word is here to help us remember to come to Jesus. It's too easy to yoke ourselves to the hope of our nation. If our politician wins, if our economy turns around, if our plans for 2024 unfold as we expect it to unfold, if our diet stays on track, if our career takes off. And we need to be clear in the invitation this morning. Jesus isn't promising to make your circumstances better. Jesus is inviting us to himself. Because I'll, I'll be honest, one of the things that I heard in that Easter Sunday that, that, really, that really opened my eyes is that he said that coming to Christ isn't going to promise those things. The circumstances in your life may not change. The circumstances may not, you know, yeah, they may not get better. They may not change. But Jesus is forever faithful. Jesus is forever. Jesus is faithful. And if everything collapses, is Jesus enough? And I'm here to tell you, yes, today, Jesus is more than enough. More than enough. So let's, let's invite Jazz back up to the stage. Let's lower the lights. I have one more, one more story to tell. And this one's from Luke. It's the, the parable of the two sons, or as you may know it as the prodigal sons. For those of you who are not familiar, there are two sons. One son asks his father for his inheritance and leaves his family behind, while the other son stays and continues to work on his father's land. Well, as the parable continues, we learn that the son who left with his inheritance wastes it all away foolishly. After losing everything to the point of starvation, he finally comes to his senses. He decides to go back to his father, hat in hand, hoping that he could at least be a slave on his father's land, thinking at least 
he won't starve to death. Well, before the son can say anything to the father, his father welcomes him with open arms, just appreciating that his son, who he thought was dead, is alive and home. Most of you know this parable, but this next part is the reason why I'm bringing this up. So the father, in excitement of his son's return, he throws a party. Now, when the son who stayed finds out that his brother has returned, he's not happy. He refuses to join the party. And when the father comes to look, to, comes out to plead with him to come and celebrate that his son has returned, the son who stayed says, Look, I've been slaving away for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me, you've never given me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who's taken your property and squandered it all away, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Translation, it's not fair, Father. I did my part, and you never honored yours. That's what we're talking about today, this, this contractual relationship. I want you to see it there in Scripture. There are times where we think that way, and you can see it here. It's not fair, Father. I did my part, and you never honored yours. Well, the Father, filled with compassion, says to him, and I really want you all to hear this, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. There, there lies the rest. There lies the comfort. Come, those who are weary, to know that rest, because, again, the Father says, My son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Well, there'll be people in the back to pray for you. Please reach out to them. Let's make 2024 a great and grand year in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, I confess to you that I've been both sons. I've been both sons in that last story. I've lived my life leaning on my own understanding, just following the pursuits of my own heart, and it has led me to destruction. But I've also, upon my return, looked at others who are still lost with resentment, who are still lost, and I've looked at them with resentment and bitterness in my judgment of them, as though that was never me, with no compassion in my heart. Father, I praise you for redeeming me through all this, through all my sin and rebellion by sending your son, Jesus, to put my sin to death on the cross and conquer it with the resurrection. I believe that, Lord. I praise you for revealing your son to me through your word, through the Holy Spirit, through fellowship of my church family. You're an amazing God, and I will take rest in you. Amen.